Good morning. Great to see you. We doing good today? All right. I'm feeling a lot more peppy than first service. I don't know what my problem was, but um, it's great to see you. I would like to just kind of echo what Ben introduced, and it's the idea that March for us is a, uh, a, a month we're looking forward to because we're offering a couple things. Uh, one is the men's conference. Last year, this was just absolutely phenomenal. And we use these words and we throw them around too much, but phenomenal is the right word. Uh, man, there was like almost 100 guys, and it just was, it was great. And just being a part of the planning for this and the, with the men's council, um, I, I just foresee this, again, being such a valuable use of time um, for us as men here in the church and the lineup that we have, and the things we're going to talk about, and again, Friday night, we open with worship and some teaching, then we just hang out. Um, we have uh, wings and pizza, and um, last year we tried to do CrossFit after that, or we set it up, that wasn't a good idea. A lot of guys were like freaked out by CrossFit anyway, and then you tank up on like wings and pizza, and you're like, no way I'm going over there and trying stuff, so no CrossFit. This year, we do have, we are putting together and making some axe-throwing booths. So, um, yeah, sounds fun, doesn't it? But it's just stuff like that. Friday night, TVs are on, basketball's on. Uh, Saturday, we come together for breakfast. Some guys share their testimonies. It's so powerful. Um, we get around, uh, we, uh, we kind of have some dialogue, uh, and then we, uh, we finish with uh, uh, kind of a closing challenge. So that's March 13 and 14. And then a couple week, weekends later, the ladies are having an if gathering. And so this just really God-led uh, through Cindy Tilly's just openness to the Holy Spirit uh, this whole thing has started. There's a lot of you that are in if tables. And um, so they're going to do a gathering, uh, which I don't know all what that means. But um, we'll be kind of announcing that out a little bit more. But these are things to come alongside to help you. Uh, as your homes need godly men and godly women. And sometimes um, there's just settings and places where we get together as men and women and we're challenged and we're moved and we're helped in so many ways. And so I would just add my plug to that. So we're in this February series. This, this year we're calling it A Good Fight. The idea is a fight for the family is a fight worth having, right? Fighting can go good or fighting can go bad, right? Um, it does matter what you're fighting for and fighting against, but there are great things to fight for there are great things to fight against. Uh, just because fighting maybe has a negative connotation doesn't mean that it's not something that we inherently, naturally do. And often it is for and against very valuable things in our life. Oh, we're saying it this way. Of all the fights to be had, and guess what? That we're fighting everywhere, over everything, right? Right? 
Um, just this week, we finally sewed up a food fight in Washington, right? Where there's this whole thing, and, and guess what? Next week will just be another fight about something, right? Uh, there's fighting everywhere. There's fighting nationally. There's fighting uh, locally. There will always be things that we fight about. But of all the fights to be had, fighting for the family is a good fight. It's a good fight. Again, the, the perfect reference for this, the picture of this, is Nehemiah who's been led by the Lord and given the opportunity to go back to the homeland, to Jerusalem, to Israel, to begin to restore God's purpose and plan and design for that land, for his people. You remember Nehemiah goes back and, and God opens the doors for him to start to rebuild the walls, rebuild the city, to restore God's plan and design. And um, remember, as he goes back, not only was the construction a big thing to take on, but there were squatters in the land, Samaritans, who didn't want them to come back. And um, so there was conflict. And remember, they were basically holding a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other as they're rebuilding, restoring God's plan and design. And in the middle of that, he challenges the people, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight, fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And I, I would say that in, in, in a different way, but the truth still remains that in a culture in a world that is always fighting against the original design and purposes God has had for the family, um, we are called to fight for our families. It's a good fight to have. And so last week, I mean, we've talked about the idea of this is the fight to have, this is the what, but also we're trying in this, this uh, month to talk about the how. Paul said this, he said, listen, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I'm trained, I'm skilled as I fight. And just as ridiculous as it would be to, to, to just get in the ring and not know what you're doing, um, too, but Paul says, we don't do that. We not only know what fight to have, but we know how to fight. And the word of God becomes uh, the way that we learn how to fight. I love what Proverbs says, a house is built by wisdom, by wisdom, and becomes strong through good sense. So fighting for your family is a very intentional thing. We not just know what to fight for, but you learn and are equipped on how to fight this good fight. Last week we talked about the fight for authenticity. That at the center of this fight for our families... Central to that is you and I being authentic, real, Christ-following believers. It's not going to work if we're not the real deal. And who you are is essential to winning this fight, right? Um, can't be a poser and expect to fight the good fight for your families, for godly families, for Christ-centered families. If you are not Christ-centered in your own life, you cannot give away what you do not possess. And so at the center of this fight is who's the fighter? Are they real? Are they authentic? We realize that if we're willing to walk an authentic, 
walk with Christ, he promises that he will always strengthen. He will always give wisdom. He will always teach us how to win this fight. He just calls for us to follow him, to walk after him, to trust him, to depend on him, to be authentic, not perfect. Amen? It's not happening. None of us are pulling that off. But authenticity is all he asks to then equip and strengthen and guide us in this fight. But we must be authentic. Second thing, and what I want to approach today, I kind of want to preface it with this this video. I I know you've seen this commercial. There's a bunch of these commercials. I like to show commercials because I also hope that the next time you see the commercial, when you're at home, you'll think, oh, yeah, he showed that. What was he talking about? And maybe you'll remember. Maybe. All right. Here's one of these commercials, 30 seconds. I love this one. Just okay is not okay, right? You guys have finally realized that AT&T is trying to tell you that just okay is not okay. And they use these scenarios like that. I mean, talk about not okay, right? Um, But you know what? I honestly feel like that an overwhelming or a pervading mindset that our culture has and that has probably seeped through into the kingdom is the idea that the norm, the normal expectation for our marriages is just okay. It's just okay. It's not great, not terrible, just okay. Just okay. I think God has designed marriage for the phrase just okay is not okay to be true. God never intended for our marriages to be just okay. And so I want to just kind of, again, push back against what is so often a pervading tendency, the way our fallen world moves, is to threaten what God has intended and designed. Um, Obviously, um, our marriages are threatened primarily by selfishness, right? And I was thinking about the series that we've preached on the family the last three years. And one year we especially talked about um, uh, the series of Seek God, Fight fair, have fun, everyone. I don't remember the last two right now. Some of you remember them. I know you remember them. But in, the, in, in, that, in that series, we took time to remember the biblical prioritiz- the prioritization that it places on us. God first, our spouse second. Not kids spouse, and that often we miss this 
sometimes, especially in our world, by pervading selfishness. But also we get distracted. We get distracted by our kids. We get distracted by our jobs. We get distracted by a lot of different things where we forget to realize that central to who we are supposed to be is authentic Christ followers who prioritize our marriages and realize that out of the flow of strong relationship with God and intimate relationship with our spouse, we can fight this good fight in an effective way. I I would say this, um, thinking about how to approach this, I keep coming back to one passage. I couldn't get away from it, so I'm going to attempt to just kind of share some things about it. It's way bigger than a Sunday. It's probably a series. Um, But then you know how life is. Um, Just for the sake of transparency, uh, this this has been a really big struggle for me this week. I always like, when we come to talk about marriage, I'm never like, yeah, sign me up. I'm never that way. I don't get super excited about preaching on marriage. Um, Compound it with the fact that, um, you know, Nicole's here this service, so she wasn't here first service. You know, her and I had one of the biggest fights that we have had in years this week. Um, That's just kind of the way it goes, isn't it? Um, That is the way it goes. Sometimes when you're like trying to do something, I was just amazed because I, after the fact, I was reading, uh, 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 I don't remember who it was, I think it was uh, Matt Chandler about this, and he was just talking about writing this sermon about marriage and talking about the fact that right in the middle of the writing the sermon that him and his wife had a huge fight. Uh, is that spiritual warfare? I don't know, but um, I'm not going to blame everything on the devil I'll just blame most of it on Nicole, so. <laughs> no, if you know the two of us, you know that's not true. Um, I married a saint, and she is a saint for putting up with me. But I just came back. <laughs> I just came back to this, like, frontline reality of how flawed I am. And how flawed we are. And how what God is doing with us in this institution, this divine institution of marriage. It wasn't a social construct of civilizations. It was formed by God. It was designed by God. And how what I want to talk about, how it is, it is an ongoing present fight that we need to fight for. And how I am, I'm always inadequate. But especially, I feel that this week, right? Because I just came off a fresh fight where I realized, man, you are such a loser sometimes. You know, like, you kind of have those thoughts, like, how can you not see, how are you so absorbed? Anyway, so. Um, so we're just going to work through this and... 
we're going to ask the Lord just to speak to us. That's the only thing we can do. And there's way too much to be said in one sermon for this. But this is the scripture I've been attracted to because this is how Jesus primarily understood marriage. What does Jesus think when he thinks of marriage? This. Because he quotes this uh, when asked about marriage, and this is what he said. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and, and female. That's another sermon, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and what's the word there? Be united to his wife. This is the whole leave and cleave idea, right? We leave mom and dad, we cleave to our spouse. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. This is how Jesus understood the purpose, the role of marriage. This is how we should understand the purpose and the role of marriage. So often we are looking for it to be the romantic fulfillment that we think we need. So often we're looking for it in so many different ways when God is saying that I design marriage to mimic the relationship that I have as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One plus one plus one equals one. And so to help you understand, I am relational in nature. I am a relational God. To help you understand how I wired, designed you, I have primarily designed marriage to help you understand who I am. And when I bring one of you together and another together, you create not two it's not one half plus one half equals one. It's one plus one equals one. Really, the understanding of marriage is primarily to help us understand our relational nature, who we are. It gives us the context to understand that life is most fulfilled and has the most purpose when we enter into a wholehearted relationship with someone else because that is God that is who God is himself he wants us to grab a hold of the power the life giving essence of relationship in marriage one plus one equals one. Uh, I call this a fight for intimacy. There's a fight for authenticity. How do I fight? Well, I got to be real. How do I fight? Well, I need to understand that God has brought me into relationship with my companion to reveal an intimacy that strengthens our lives, that offers security and hope to our kids about the power and the value of relationships. Amen? Okay. <laughs> I'll keep going. I want, you to, I want you to know this. 
Becoming one doesn't mean you cease to be a unique individual. That would not be harmonious with Scripture, other scriptural teachings. Becoming one does mean you cease to be an independent individual. That's absolutely the reality here. There is no two, there is one. One of the greatest tragedies I've ever observed of marriages is when two people are together, but they're not truly united. It's sad to see people become roommates and share assets and share common things, even children, and not really experience the intimacy that God always intended for them to share in this unique relationship that is a companionship. Unity doesn't mean that you always think the same. Unity means that you are always together, though. How do you do this? How do you get two people to become one? I mean, if you're like me, the road of marriage is filled with sometimes massive miscommunications, painful misunderstandings, hurt feelings, and a politically correct way to say intense conversations. Right? There's not a one of you in here that's not experiencing this. And if you're not experiencing this at some point at different times, then you're probably just roommates. Because the blending of a man and a woman to become one flesh, this mystery, is filled with all of that. And yet... God is calling us in the middle of the things that we have to overcome because of our flesh, because of our fallenness, because of our sinful behaviors. He calls us to a relationship that is one of absolute trust, rich and meaningful, intimate conversation and the sharing of life, genuine and sincere affection, where it just becomes the reality that when you see one, you know the other is with them. Maybe not physically, but in spirit. It creates this beautiful relationship of one. Not independent individuals anymore, but dependent upon one another. Unique still in their individuality. I guess this little diagram might be helpful. Um, if you have a triangle and you have man and woman, God, um, how does he bring us together in intimacy? Through the role of our spirit, our soul, and our bodies. And as we continue to go closer to God, he continues to draw us closer to him. That's why it is so valid to remember that in any marriage that is fulfilling and is what God intended, there are always three. There is you, your spouse, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm just going to be frank with you. The way I'm wired, um, you know, hey, 
God has given me the greatest gift uh, in the person of Nicole. Um, But in my selfishness, without the help and empowerment and control of the Holy Spirit in my life, I probably very easily could have messed it all up and still could mess it all up, right? Um, It takes him being in the middle of our marriages for them to play out and be what he always intended. And that is to experience this oneness, this intimacy. That's contrary to what the world is telling you, all right, and the source to find that love, that one love, that true love, um, it's always based in the other person, and I would tell you that the reality of experiencing that one love, that true love, is based in the person of the Holy Spirit. Do I feel like that she is, like, perfect for me? Absolutely. Do I feel like she is, like, everything I've wanted? Absolutely. Well, not everything. No. <laughs> no, you. Yes. I didn't mean I was a joke. All right, please don't. I was just messing around with it. Yes. And yet it could still not be enough. Because our fallen condition sometimes can become so selfish. We can become so distorted. We can become so distracted. We can become so whatever. There is not one other person that will ever fulfill us. As perfect as they seem to be for us. It's only being rooted in the person of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That this idea of experiencing intimacy can truly exist. Amen. I've talked to enough people that have looked at me and said, I have no idea what I was thinking. Because they loved that person. That's the person they picked. They wanted. They wanted to live with. And yet they are not together. Because they couldn't get out of their own way. Because... Right? Yeah. Essential to this whole idea of intimacy is the person of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so I just want to say three things. Um, I, trust me, this is not a homiletical masterpiece by any means. But it's just a few things I want you to remember. Because I want you to remember one plus one equals one. God is calling us to fight for intimacy. What our kids need is to see mom and dad one. I talked about first service. I've seen it now with Keegan. I've seen it now with Sage. That along about the age of nine or ten, they begin to realize things. And they begin to realize that my friend, that's not her dad. Right? And they start to think about that. And then they, why doesn't her dad live? You see what I mean? And so we begin to explain, well, some people, they, you know, th- there's been a divorce. And to watch them begin to process that. And then all of a sudden they look at you. 
And it's almost like their little world is like hanging in, it's like there's, are you going to get divorced? Right? And all of a sudden, they realize there's an insecurity that pops up sometimes. And there's, right? Our kids need to know that there is this intimate one relationship. I, I, I love this phrase. I put this in here. Um, if I can find it. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Amen? A contract is based on mutual distrust. That's why you, put a, that's why you draw up a contract. I'm going to save my rear end. I'm going to protect myself. A covenant is based on a mutual commitment. I realize I'm talking to people, though, here that say, hey, Chip, that boat has sailed. <laughs> Thank you for telling me what I wish I would have known 30 years ago. Right? And I would tell you that I know I'm talking to people who have, are, have been divorced. I would remind you what your kids and grandkids need to see right now more than anything is this intimacy between you and your spouse. The past is the past. You can choose to let that weigh you down or you can choose to believe that what we need most in this fight against families is authenticity and intimacy. This oneness. Amen? And you guys are quiet. All right, I'm just going to jump in and go fast. How about that? How about that? I just want to say this. Intimacy is established on a shared spiritual connection. That's why Paul says, hey, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Those of you in this room that are not married, I don't know who you're supposed to marry, Okay? I do know that you're not supposed to marry an unbeliever. Amen? That's God's will. God has a will. God has a plan. 90% of it he's put in his word. And, and it's very apparent. I've talked to people who looked at me and said, but I prayed about it. I feel this peace about it. I'm just so connected to this person. God's not telling you to marry them. God never tells you to marry an unbeliever. The, the thing on the list of, okay, am I attracted to them? Important, right? Yeah, yep. Are we compatible? That's important. I hope you're figuring that out. Do we have common values and shared interests and all? Those are important things on the list. Number one on the list, are they a believer? Does the Holy Spirit live in them as he lives in you? There has to be the basis for all intimacy is established in a shared spiritual condition. So that's for those of you that aren't married right now. Some of you are married and you are in a relationship with your, and your spouse is not a believer. It's happened, you're like, hey, that ship sailed also. I want to just remind you, the scripture has certain promises for you. Don't give up hope. Don't, keep, don't stop believing 
and don't stop living out in front of them the faith. My, my in-laws are a perfect example of that. Both hippies, I mean, like, you know, let's just say drugs and rock and roll. I don't know about the sex part, but that was their life, right? And they, they got together. My mother-in-law becomes a believer at early 20s and is now with Ron. They're married, man. They're in it. You know, they're kids, and, and he's not a believer, for 20-something years, he is not a believer until he's in his 40s. And she just prayed for him, lived it out in front of him, was consistent with him, and God saved him. So don't lose hope today when we talk about this. Keep believing, claim the scriptures that God has promised in these situations. For those of us that are married and we're both believers, we need to remember that at the core of how we are going to be one flesh is a shared spiritual connection. That's why in that series we talked about the first priority is to seek God together. Are you praying with one another? Are you praying for one another? Are you allowing spiritual activities to be a part of what you do together? Is there a common faith? Is there shared spiritual connection? It's established in that. Genesis 2.18 would say that God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And some people think, oh, that's, that's what the woman is. It's just a helper. Because that's what the Bible says. Well, guess what this word is, helper. God uses this word about himself like 40 times. Right? This isn't like some demeaning, like inferior thing. God says he's a helper. That's good enough for me, right? The idea is that man looked around, man, he named all these animals, and guess what? The gold retriever might have been his best friend, but it wasn't enough. Right? It's not good for man to be alone. This isn't the, I'm relational, and so he brings into his life this perfect situation of this intimate relationship. And they started this beautiful relationship with a shared spiritual connection. It was the most beautiful thing. Both of them connected and they walked with the Lord every day. Such a beautiful thing. It's what God's design has always been intended for. Second thing is, that's not the second thing. Intimacy is nurtured, it's established on a shared spiritual connection, it's nurtured through a commitment to God's design. Okay, God, you're calling us to this dynamic of intimacy of one plus one equals one, of this unique uh, relationship where it's, we're just, we're not independent anymore. We are together. We are this, you see them, you see me, you see her, you see her, you see me. It's like, just, Right? How does that work out, God? Okay. The spiritual life is central to it. It provides the platform for all sorts of intimacy that you want to create. So how does that play out? And it's, in, it's nurtured through a commitment to God's design. Submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. Paul begins to talk about how do you experience intimacy in this, this particular relationship. And he references the fact that for this to happen, it takes a mindset of submission, of mutual submission to one another. And then he begins to carry it out and explain it further. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. I love how quiet it gets in here and how awkward it gets. I just sometimes just want to sit here for a few minutes and see what would happen. Say nothing. Because this is like, whoa, this is what? The husband is the head of the wife. What? What a bunch of inequality. As Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so awesome. So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. What? Is God saying that like women are inferior again and um, all this, right? Submission carries a negative connotation so often. Let's just keep reading. How about that? Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hates their own flesh. They feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will be one flesh. See, Paul is echoing what Jesus said, what God said in the beginning in Genesis. The dynamic is one plus one equals one. How does that happen? What's well, this? Each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Intimacy is nurtured by a commitment to God's design. I've explained this before. We've talked about this before. I don't want to spend time. But there is in no way this idea of inferiority or inequality. It is absolutely all role specific. And that God has designed, just like He's des or like we design companies and organizations with different roles, that there are different roles that play out in the home. Are you with me there? Yeah, you're not with me. That's why I, we really look at this in such a negative connotation we shouldn't. The natural thing that nurtures intimacy is in a home. Intimacy in is a home in a home is when husbands love in this way. There's three things he described there. When husbands love sacrificially, when her needs are more important than his needs, are put first. That's to love sacrificially. 
He loves intentionally. The, the, the scripture talks about the fact that as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it to wash her by the right, to sanctify her, to make her holy and blameless, to understand that God has a plan with his church is also the same way to understand that God has a plan for this marriage and that as a husband to love my wife is to do all I can to help her and me develop into the people that God has called us to be. And I will not get into the way of what God is wanting to do in her life and with her life. I actually support and empower that. Amen? It's to understand, remember God created Eve, this couple together, and then he turns around and said, hey, here's the whole earth, be fruitful, multiply, subdue it. He gives them a mission together. The first thing the husband and wife were given was a mission together. And a husband loves intentionally when he recognizes that I am called as, as the husband of this relationship to do all I can to love in such a way that she experiences what God is wanting to do in her life and with her life and through her life. And the last one is sensitively. He cares for her. That word in verse 29 is to keep her warm. It's this, it's this sense of... Um, Encouraging, nurturing, treating with gentleness. This works, doesn't it? <laughs> Guys, obviously there's, there's a, why our wives respond when we are sensitive. Because I found that most of us are not naturally sensitive. And when we become that which we are not naturally, it draws our wives into a more intimate relationship with us. On the flip side, wives respect. I think it comes to this by trusting, trusting the leadership God has given in the home to the man. Trusting it. And by encouraging it. By encouraging him. It's a whole other sermon, but we speak the language of respect. Women speak the language of love. By trusting, by encouraging, this is, the opposite of that would be controlling, would be critical, would be contemptful, would be to pick everything apart. That just breaks down, it breaks down intimacy. It's not God's design, it's not God's plan, and it just throws a, a, like, a like a bomb into what God is wanting to do in bringing us together and having us model this relationship to our family. One of intimacy. Husbands love, wives respect. And the last thing is intimacy is strengthened in a loving physical union. We can't, under, we can't understand this oneness without understanding our bodies also. We are spirit, soul, body. And we play out this oneness, and God has created us as physical beings to experience this unique oneness in our bodies. And through us becoming one flesh, there is a sense where, yes, it's spiritual. Yes, it's the soul with our emotions, our will, our feelings, all those things. But it also plays itself out 
in our bodies. And God always intended for that to be the case. And he uses the unique physical union of our bodies to continue to strengthen the one relationship that he's given to us. The outplay of sexual intimacy in marriage, it affirms the oneness that you have moved into in the spirit and the soul. And it continues to bring that together in such a tangible, beautiful way that continues to just draw you into one another and create an intimacy that God always intended and designed. I will just say this. There's only, I've never come across good marriages that haven't seen not only the oneness played out in the spirit, soul, but also in the body. I recognize that sometimes there's physical challenges. I recognize that sometimes there's age, right? I'm not there, so I don't know. Okay? <laughs> and I'm... Sh- <laughs> so, so, what might have been at one point of your life, I don't know. So the regularity... Yeah, you're following me. Don't make me any more awkward. But the reality of still connecting in this way is absolutely God's intent and design. He gives us this to continue. It just works part and parcel with one another. And it's how he draws us closer to one another. And so often we allow things to distract us or how we feel or... Uh, all this stuff, and we, re- we, we miss what God has given to us and what God does with us. Spirit, soul, and body bringing us together in this intimate relationship that our kids desperately need to see. It brings them security. It brings them hope. It makes them believe in who they were originally created to be relational people. And when they see it in you, they realize it's possible and that they can experience the most fulfilling things in the world. That's life-giving, beautiful, intimate relationships, especially with that lifelong companion that God has given to you. Oh man, this is the quietest it's ever been. You guys are always quiet anyway. So please, When we fight this fight, we fight for authenticity, but we fight for intimacy. It's built on a shared spiritual connection. You want to be intimate? Walk with Jesus together. That's the foundation. You want to be intimate? Then be committed to his plan. Even sometimes when you're like, God, I don't know if I can love her sacrificially right now. Come on, you've been there. Do it. Believe in it. Trust it. God, I don't know if I can respect him. I just want to tell him every six ways while he's wrong. No. 
I'm going to trust. I'm not going to be committed to God's design. And allow it to play out even in your bodies. To recognize the good gift God has given to us that continues to bind us together. And beyond sexual intimacy, just the, the coming together of physical touch, of physical affection. It's all part of how God continues to make us one. And our families desperately need to see intimate moms and dads. Father, go with us, challenge us, do so much more than I could in my faulty words. Thank you for their patience today. It's just hard to talk about all this in a short time. But Lord, I, I do believe that you're going to spark within us a challenge once again to make sure that our marriages are intimate, are close, are growing together, built on Christ Jesus, following his plan, and allowing it to play out in all parts of our lives. Lord, please, our kids desperately need to see us loving each other, this unique relationship. It gives them hope, Father. It, it, it just it lights them up to believe and know that there, are, there is this kind of relationship out there. And they can experience what you've always intended us for to experience, this relationship, companionship that mimics who you are. So, Lord, go with us from this place. Continue to work in our hearts and make us one with each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for your patience today.